Hello and welcome to Rusty Junk. Uh, just me and Joe today. Uh, Amanda is so busy with work, unfortunately, she didn't get a chance to actually see the film. Uh, and Dominic's just not available uh, for this one. But I'm sure he will be back for the next one, which we've already decided. And we'll, we'll tell you about that at the end of the podcast. But for this one, we are looking at the 1984 film, 2010, The Year We Made Contact. Uh which is the sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey from 1968. But uh, this sequel stars Roy Scheider, Helen Mirren, John Lithgow, Bob Balaban, loads of others. We will get to that. First, here's the trailer. How are you going to convince your people to allow Americans to go on the flight? We are going to get there first, and you have the knowledge to make the trip work. I'm going on the flight. How far away is Jupiter? Far. Mommy said you're going to be asleep for a long time. Are you going to die? Dr. Floyd. Dr. Floyd. Dr. Arlov has encountered some strange data coming from Europa. We'll send Max down with a pod. I wouldn't do that. Oh, really? You want to send a pod down there, send an unmanned one. Hey, a piece of pie. Cake. Piece of cake. Cake, yes. If this date is correct, then there's something down there. It is correct. It was organic. There was life. Is it moving? Yes. It's incredible. Listen for a minute. We've got to get out of here. They can't do all of these things with no reason. I can't dis- Forget reason. There's no time to be reasonable. Are you sure you are making the right decision? I think we should stop. You see, something's going to happen. What? Something wonderful. don't know about you joe but after that trailer i mean if for those people that watched it on youtube i mean even if you heard it it probably sounded good i want to see that film <laughs> yeah definitely I don't, i'm like somebody's 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 dared to make a well i don't say dared to make the sequel dared to make the film of the book that arthur c clark wrote as the sequel to 2001 um and there's sometimes they talk about books which are unfilmable um what comes to mind is um Naked Lunch, David Cronenberg, um, with Peter Weller, played Robocop. They always said that was unfilmable, um, but they made it. And June. June sometimes said the book is just weaves everywhere. It's a really hard film to make. Um, it's weird because June will pop up uh, in the trivia at some at some point, um, uh, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, a bit of background uh, before I... Um, Going to the going to these asking your scores, asking your score. Sorry, I, I'm so 
always thinking that we've got everybody on and it's just you and me. So uh, the background to this is I actually saw 2001 A Space Odyssey when I was 11. So I've been to see Star Wars. So pretty much anything that came up sci-fi, I had to see. Uh, I, I just had to, you know, devour it. Battle Beyond the Stars, you know, anything like that that came on. I just had to, had to watch it. Uh, I remember going to the cinema and being quite confused, but I, I recognised the majesty of 2001 and, you know, the epic nature of it. I didn't know a lot of what was going on, but I knew that this was something special. So when I came out of that, especially the trippy trippy scene with the, with the, with the tunnel in 2001, hmm. um, which does go on a, a little bit too long. I know that's heresy to, to even say anything bad against that film. No, it's not heresy. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, and then to know, having seen that, that n- next year there'll be a sequel to this and it will star one of your favourite actors. And you were just like, this is dizzying. I, 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 this is great. And I can't imagine the people that had to wait 16 years for it, for that, you know, to to see what happened next. So I feel very lucky. But anyway, that's just a little bit of background. Um, Joe, over to you. Come on, man. what did you what did you think of this? I am dying to know what you thought about this. Yeah, I I really do wish that Amanda and Dom were here because I think that it would be such a great discussion to have. Um, I and not that I'm going to come off. I am going to have some negatives here because okay. I know that's going to disappoint you a little bit. <laughs> you don't um, know my school yet. Yeah, okay. But overall, it's, it's very positive. But I think part of the problem is I wish they would have made this film sooner, like probably a couple of years after 2001. Because like you, I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey when I was younger. Mm. And I was confused. I was bored because there was very little speaking. And, you know, back then, you know, you need to be constantly entertained uh, but then you know when you see it as an adult it's a masterpiece it's an absolute masterpiece yes. of film stanley kubrick is a genius uh i mean i've seen the majority of his films and i'm just blown away by what this guy was able to do with so many things and so many book adaptions too where he actually improved upon the novel which i i think is fascinating Mm. Um, but it's tough to where you have to compare these two. You can't help but compare 2001: A Space Oddity and 2010: The Year We Make Contact, and they're completely different films. Um, you know, again, the the original one's a masterpiece, but this one's more more coherent, and yeah. it's more of a movie that you would normally want to see. Um. Yeah, One of my, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it's it, it's enjoyable, it's entertaining, and it, again, you don't have to have like a, a degree in in physics to really thoroughly enjoy the movie. Yeah, um, it, it's just one of those movies that you can go and enjoy, and you don't really have to know too much about the first one. Yeah, um, but my problem being a fan of two thousand and one, I don't understand the casting of Roy Scheider as uh, <laughs> as Floyd. Um, <laughs> okay, we are going to fool. Well, that. this is the thing. It's like at the time, I still think that they could have used the original actor because uh, you know he was he was in, he was mostly in the beginning of the first hmm. part of the movie. 
Yeah. Um, I, I don't see why they couldn't bring him back because he still was, I think he was in his 50s at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, or they could have made Roy Scheider's character a different character, you know, because it it throws you off his personality, his look. It's completely different. And yeah. I, again, I guess it's everyone's vision of what they're looking at the book, not necessarily the movie as a source. And uh, when you look at the at 2001, they all have like 70s like haircuts. And uh, also that's kind of throws me off a little bit too. Yeah. Even, like even the filming of it, they must have filmed. I don't know if, if um, 2001 was filmed in 35 millimeter or 70 millimeter or something like that. Mm. Th- this had to be filmed differently because it just the look of it looked completely different from the original one. But that's my biggest complaints. I mean, I oh, think those aren't really. No, no, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying like Roy Schreider is very good in it. I, I don't fault his acting or anything like that. In fact, if there was a way to go back in time, I think I'd rather see Roy Schreider in 2001. But well, uh, yeah. we have to <laughs> deal with what we have. Um, okay. But yeah, no, I, I think it's a it's a great movie. I, I really enjoyed it. The acting is superb throughout. I can't fault anybody in the acting department. I think they all do a great job. Um, the writing is very good. Oh yeah, and also it's the original one is very slow paced, mm. and this one is fast paced. I mean, it it goes so fast that before you know it, they're on the discovery, and I I just think that that's that's pretty cool too. It's got a. I guess the director. It's got got to be tough to take on something that was once a masterpiece, and he's got to do. He can't replicate it. He's got to do his own thing, and I think that's what he did. Um, and I think he did a good job for for a film by itself. I think it's an excellent film, um, but it's uh, overshadowed by the big one. So I'm going to give this a rating of an eight out of ten. Wow. Nice, man. I, I genuinely didn't know which way you were going to go on it because I didn't know whether or not you were going to go Helen Mirren's accent, which I don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem no. with any. I don't have a problem with any, any anybody, um, as you say. I think everyone plays plays their their part and plays it extremely well, um, including the NSC director. I think he is he is very good. Um, the the guy that he's speaking to outside the White mm-hmm. House. I think I, I, I to say everybody's good. Um, the, so, so from an eight, from I think because I was caught up in the whole Jaws thing, and then seeing Blue Thunder, um, you kind of like this. This this guy can do no wrong, you know. Um, he's just brilliant in whatever he does. The fact that he's in this. You know, little known Helen Mirren. We'll get to how most most uh, boys my age knew Helen Mirren, but we will get to that in roll call. Uh, and so it's very good to see Helen Mirren in there as well. Um, so from you know, from my point of view, I'd watched The World According to Garp. I loved, 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 loved John Lithgow, and still do to this day. Um, and you kind of like all, all these pieces are are, are in there together. It's it's groundbreaking. I mean, we'll get to it in trivia. We might actually get to it while we're in the, the film because when we look at something like the set design, 
you know, you look at the the care, the detail, the attention that's been put into something like that, and yeah, you lifted it from the book. Um, I mean, I know we might skittle around all over the place, but it's it's visionary. Even this film is visionary. The visionary of the set design that they wanted to do, the way that the director and Arthur C. Clarke were using a little-known uh, thing called email um, to go back and forth with each other, or they consulting each other all the time. That's that's a labour of love. That's a kind of, I want to keep true to this as much as I can. I've got this huge, big responsibility to create the sequel, which has been written. I'm not writing it myself. I, I'm, you know, I'm directing it. I think it's exceptionally well directed. I think some of the shots, some of the wide shots, especially when they're sat around the table, again, you could say nicked from Ridley Scott in Alien, and you know that sort of, you know, that sort of shot. But even that shot in the White House where they're just talking, you've got all this stuff going on in the background, and you've got the the, the majesty of the White House there. And you've just got them talking, and they're, they're they're tiny. They're in the middle, and you're like, I love the direction of this film. I just think it's so well done, let down by the special effects, but then they were just doing what, using what they had at the time. Um, you know, maybe that's that's the only thing. But no, when I watched this, I came out and was satisfied. I thought this is that was great. And I went to see it again the following following week, um, which that wasn't unheard of but you know if a film came out and it was popular like Ghostbusters you, you know you'd have to have a massive wait at the following week weekend and things like that so um, thankfully there wasn't uh, that the same sort of queue um, so for me I, I pretty much know this film off by heart because I think I wore out my VHS copy of it because I just went on and on and on and on and just watched it in the same way that I would continually watch Jaws um, The Sure Thing Better off dead, all those sorts of stuff, and I just wear it out because I just, I just, it'd be my go-to film to go and think, what should I watch? Fine, I just stick it on. Um, so for me, I'm going to have to give it a nine um, because I love it. There's nothing about this film that I that I I don't like, but it could, but it could have been better. It could have been slightly better in certain areas, but we'll get to that. Um, so that's a good start. An eight and a nine. I'm loving that. Okay. Did right. you read the books at all? I did. Um, so I did read. Yeah. So I read 2010, um, and it didn't make an awful lot of sense to me oh. when I read the book. Um, I haven't read the other two because I've been warned off them and say don't because it'll just spoil your uh, enjoyment of the first two. Uh, so the story continues. I mean, I did make a note of this that you know in um, uh, in the books. Frank Poole, who was um, jettisoned out uh, of the airlock in 2001, is resurrected a thousand years later after floating in space. And I'm just like, I just, I'm, I'm happy with what I've got. I, I, I'm not. Did you read them? I don't know. No, I didn't read it, any of the books, but I know that there are four of them. Yeah. And I think that the uh, the last one is uh, is a conclusion. And. Right. But it does make you curious. I mean, if you're fans of the movies, what happened? I did kind of read some in Wikipedia about okay. what happens towards the end and everything. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of bums me, though, because I would have liked to seen a finality in a, in a movie form just to see it end. Because they did kind of leave us hanging uh, mm -hmm. with this movie. And this movie tries to answer a lot of questions they even like 
in the beginning they they show that they have all these questions that they have that they are they're going to determine whether they can answer them but it leaves us with even more questions by the end you know yeah. and that's what i'm not crazy about and not all the not all the questions that they asked were answered too mm. so i would have liked to seen again just for it to be complete um but you know you could be right we could have been disappointed i don't know did arthur i think arthur c clark uh, wrote the sequels too yes yes he did yeah yeah he so. wrote a lot of books a, a lot of books I and mean, when i was going on amazon i think there were like there were like 10 pages 10, 10 screens that you could go through and i'm like was it i think he was just writing a book a week i used to uh, i was really into 2001 at some point and i forgot a lot of information about it but i think at the time that uh, stanley kubrick was writing uh, w- was doing the movie they still weren't done with the book you know he still wasn't done with it so stanley kubrick made a lot of changes that are very different from the book Hmm. Um, and and again, I I, it's, I I did watch that movie recently, two thousand and one, before it. And like I said, it just it overshadows this movie. But it's still this is a, a fun movie. I, I think if if I was younger, uh, or if I was going to show this to one of my kids or something like that, I'd be like, uh, you might want to watch this one, the two thousand and ten version, you know. And then yeah. when you get older maybe you'll appreciate the 2001 yeah i remember being on my own so i think i i was 11 yeah when i saw it um i was on my own in the cinema back in the day when you can just go yeah hi yeah i'm just going out to the cinema <laughs> what you know walk walk the three miles into town and then go to go to the cinema on your own you just sit there and go wow um yeah can't do that these days Oh well, never yeah. mind. Shall we do roll call? Shall we go to roll call? Sure. Excellent. Here is roll call. Roll call. Roll call. No, he's determined to get that in every time. It plays havoc with my editing, but it's fine. Don't worry, I'll, I'll figure it out. Roy Scheider. Yeah, right. well, of course. I don't think he's done much. It was in a um. Oh, it was in a film about a. Uh, I don't know some underwater thing i don't know like set at set at sea i can't remember oh that's it just the greatest film of all time <laughs> jaws um and a and a half passable sequel yeah um, don't you have the uh the funko pop behind you i do they're right at the top there for those that are well there, there they are just just above just above my head there and there's there's bruce himself right next to them oh no no, no the camera doesn't like that uh but yes there they are quint Brody and hooper uh I mean, he's great, but 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 didn't do a lot. But what he did was very good. So we can go talk about all that jazz. We can talk about French Connection. We can talk about Marathon Man. Regular listeners will know how much I love Blue Thunder. Uh, I just think it's incredible that this is the year before. So Roy Scheider's having a good, a good couple of years on this. Um, unfortunately like like most you know most things he then goes to straight to video uh films such as Cohen and Tate 52 pick up with Anne Margaret um and then we don't hear from him a lot and then he comes back in Sequest DSV which was all right wasn't great um and probably the Punisher's P- 
Punisher's dad uh, in the... Um, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Frank Castle's dad. Uh, and then, yeah, sadly sadly died. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's probably going on about... Must be about 10 years. 10 years ago that he died. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love him. I think he's... I think he's one of the greatest characters in one of the in the greatest film. Um, yeah. Anything to add on Roy Scheider? No, not much. Um, no, I, I do think he's a good actor. He's uh, been in a lot of good movies. I can't rem- recall any bombs that he's been in. Mm. Like you said, like the ones that you mentioned are the only ones that I'm familiar with. You, but, you, you know, want grizzly? You want grizzled, grumpy? leathery doesn't play by the rules type thing if you want somebody like that Roy Scheider's you heard and like yeah I think I would have liked to seen more of him you know I yeah I feel like maybe he took too much time in between making movies yeah because I think we could have gotten a lot more uh from him absolutely I mean you know he does make some good decisions like like not coming back for Jules 3 um which Roy, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, <laughs> yes, you definitely made the right decision. Um, even though I do like that film, but anyway, it, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been better if he was in it. it probably would have been slightly worse. Um, Helen Mirren. So, as I spoke about at the start, boys of a certain age will remember the first time that they saw Helen Mirren is because somebody had a copy of their dad's somebody had a copy of their dad's copy of Caligula. Where Helen Mirren goes naked in it. Oh, I, I didn't realize she was in. I mean, I'd seen that like. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, just as I was uh, <laughs> going into adulthood. The formative just out of years, curiosity. Joe. The formative years, yes. Yeah, out of curiosity. But uh, yeah, that movie sucked. I, I didn't. I think I watched maybe 20 minutes of it and that was it. Um, so I don't even know if I got to see Helen Mirren. I didn't know she was in it, but okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes, we, I remember that. And I know that sounds quite grubby. And, and so to counter that, I would say there's a... Go onto YouTube and, and type in Helen Mirren, Michael Parkinson, um, where he's interviewing her. And, and she's she's fighting back and basically saying, oh, I'm not going to be typecast as, you know, this person that gets their clothes off and, and things like that. And she's having none of it. Uh, and she's basically standing her ground. If you want a really early example of... But feminism, but not in the not trying to not trying to force it down. She's basically just being natural. Um, we know how Helen Mirren developed as you know as a as a person, as an act and as an actor. Uh, definitely, hundred percent. I mean, we'll go through that in a moment. Uh, and then, of course, we there's the Long Good Friday that she was in, which we covered on the podcast. Um, so she's very good in that. Um, she was in Excalibur, uh, White Knights, which is very good in White Knights, uh, where the Russian accent came back again, if I seem to remember. Um, Mosquito Coast, which we've covered on the podcast. So, yeah, we've actually done quite a bit of, of Helen Mirren. Um, She's in The Queen. She was in The Queen. She's Jane Tennyson in Prime Suspect, which was huge over here, and then it made the leap over to uh, to the US. And then you remade it, as you, as you normally do. You take our best ideas and remake them into (laughs) anyway yeah um calendar girls last orders the queen as he said cemented her like she was back not like she ever went away but cemented her as in 
right, Helen Mirren is a force to be reckoned with. She is great in that film. She's wonderful. Even if you're a, you know, a Republican, you know, Federalist, anarchist, whatever you are, you at least you've got to say that that's pretty good. Um, uh, she, she made good decisions like being in Red uh, and Red 2, which I thought were great films. Very bad decisions. Uh, she was in the Arthur remake with Russell Brand, which nobody remembers. And and here's my advice. Nobody should watch. Do not watch that. Do not get mildly curious and go, oh, look, this thing on Netflix. We've seen everything else. This is the only film left. Watch something else again. Do not watch Do not watch Arthur. Uh, the voice of the Dean in Monsters University. Oh, um, yeah, she was great. I loved doing she, that. She's very, very good. Very, very good. Um, she was in Eye in the Sky, uh, which is great. It's all about um, a military operation uh, that she's involved with. She is excellent in that. Please check out Eye in the Sky. Uh, then she goes all mainstream. She goes into Fast and Furious as Jason Statham's mom <laughs> in uh, Fast and Furious. Look, it is what it is. I do like the Stath. Uh, he's got uh, he's got Meg Two coming out this year, which I can't wait for. Oof, um, wow! Because I did like the Meg. <laughs> I did think it was good. It's not gory enough, but still. Um, but yes, and now she's currently starring, and I haven't watched it, even though I do have uh, Apple. I had a free Apple TV subscription, and then I went on there and said, "There's nothing here I want to watch." Yeah, me uh, too. Yeah, <laughs> apart from. She's in a thing with Harrison Ford called 1923. And there's a new thing, another series. I don't know what Harrison Ford's done, done a, sold his soul to Apple or whatever, but he's got another series out there with Jason Siegel uh, called um, uh, Shrinking, where he plays a psychiatrist. Okay, I'll check them both out, <laughs> but more for Helen Mirren, I think, in this case, than, than Harrison Ford. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's Helen Mirren. There we go. Um, now, can we move on to John Lithgow? Come on, man, t- 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 take take me on take me on a Joe journey of John Lithgow and and whether you like him, whether you don't like him, what highlights? No, I, I like him a lot, but it's like now I feel like Amanda, where it's like I got to come up with movies and I can't really. Think oh of man! A lot of, well, I know about Garp. I mean, and he okay. was nominated for best supporting actor in that. Oh, it's incredible. Um, incredible. I, you know, the ones I think of, he was in Shrek. Yes, that's right. He's the he voice Lord, of the king. Lord Farquaad, yeah. That's oh, right. Lord. Um, what the hell else was he in? <laughs> oh, Twilight Zone? Yeah, okay, oh, right, okay. You, you're not going for the probably the, the, the most obvious one, but that's fine. We will get there collectively. Twilight Zone, where he played the in the segment Nightmare at 40,000 Feet. Yeah, he was like William Shatner had done that in the original, and he was doing the remake. And, and I think that was the best part of the movie. Yes, um, I can't think. Go ahead, you, you, uh, well, well, he was in all that jazz with uh, Roy Scheider. Um, he was also let's let's start in order. He was he played Yoda's voice in the Empire Strikes Back radio drama. Oh, well. oh, I know. I'm, you almost I'm not shocked saying me. That that's the, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I minute, like, I'm not saying I've got. That's the thing that you should have remembered. I didn't know that until I researched it. Yeah, it's not a big deal. I don't think. Yeah, but he played Yoda. I mean, come on. I mean, that's got to count for something. Um, the Reverend Shaw, the good Reverend Shaw in Footloose. 
Well, that, that's probably a reason. I'm not a fond of that movie. <gasps> Joe. Uh, so I, I think I just saw <laughs> it like two years ago for the first time in my life. What? Two yeah. years ago? Yep. How did you get through the 80s without seeing Footloose? Because like, it's about a guy dancing. It's like, no. I mean, The guy rebelling against rock music. No music I feel bad. Played. I feel bad watching Dirty Dancing. You know, it's like... But I eventually saw it. Um, ah, Footloose. Don't like it. So, Sorry. Footloose and Dirty Dancing, you're not keen on? No. All right, wow. Okay, good job Amanda's not on. She'd have, oh, yeah. she'd have, she'd have reached through. She'd have like clambered through like She-Hulk into your <laughs> into your bit. Sorry for a She-Hulk reference in there. Don't don't watch that rubbish. Um, Bigfoot and the Hendersons. Although you called it Harry and the Hendersons. Over yeah, there. we called it Bigfoot and the Hendersons because actually we want to explain what it is. It's about a Bigfoot mm. and a family called the Hendersons. But obviously, America is happy with the uh, obscure. Well, I think title. you can figure out during the trailer what <laughs> what it is, who Harry is. Yeah, but if you're if you're right, so you're standing in front of a cinema, and you're going, oh, what are we going to watch? And you can't see the poster, and you just have that beautiful. I mean, they don't have it anymore, and I miss it so much with the with putting on the individual letters onto the white background with the lines, and that's what's playing. If you're sitting there, and you're going, oh look, Ghostbusters, or oh sorry, at that time probably Ghostbusters two, Ghostbusters two, or Harry and the Hendersons. What's Harry and the Hendersons about? You go see Ghostbusters two. Well, then you're an idiot. You know, well, because... there's lots of idiots around, Joe. No, Big, because basically, Bigfoot if you go Hendersons. to the movies, you 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 don't you don't go to the movie theater and go, oh, what's playing? You look in the paper first to figure out what's playing, and then they give you a description of what it's about. They give you a picture of what it looks like. You just don't say, oh, let's go to the movies and see what's playing. Although that did happen with. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I got to tell you this story. My grandmother took my sister to, <laughs> to the movies to see Monty Python and the Holy Grail. She thought Ooh. it was a religious movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, oh, after dear. about a half an hour, she ran out and she banged on the uh, <laughs> on the uh, ticket place, demanded her money back. It's like, this is false advertising. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the holy hand, hand grenade of Antioch. Yes. Oh, don't get started on Monty Python. We, we have to do Monty Python at some point. I mean, yeah. we really do. Really do. There's so many little individual films. I know it's Amanda's choice for the next one. It almost feels like we've got to do Lucky Dip next season because there's so many little gaps that we just need to we need to plug. But anyway, yes. So, Bigfoot and the Hendersons. Oh, look, I'm going to see a film about a Bigfoot with a family. Sold. Here's my money. There you go. Uh, he was the one of the commanders in Memphis Bell. Yes, I managed to get an Eric Stoltz reference in. Just didn't see that, that one either. Eric Stoltz is very, very good in that. As is Matthew Modine. Um, I do like Memphis Bell, um, uh, not just because of Eric Stoltz. Uh, he was with Denzel Washington in Ricochet. Plays some good, like some mean characters. Uh, Raising Kane. He was the bad guy. But, so uh, in. <laughs> There was a time when Alan Rickman probably kicked it off that the bad guy had to be a Brit. The bad guy had to be one of us. Um, and that carried on in 1992, I believe, was Cliffhanger uh, with Stallone, where he played the bad guy in that with a with a very, very put on accent. Um, yeah, it's funny, like all those movies that you mentioned, I haven't seen. You haven't seen Cliffhanger? No. I thought you're a Stallone fan. Have you not seen like stuff like Daybreak? Well, I'm a Stallone fan when it comes to Rocky and Rambo. 
So you're not you're, you're not mildly curious of, of of his other films? Are any good? No. Lock I saw up? Copland. Lock, What's that? Lock, lock up. I didn't see lock up. Lock up's got Donald Donald Sutherland in it. Donald Sutherland and Stallone in the same film. Escape room. Oh no, escape plan. No. Nope. Schwarzenegger. Nope. Right. So your <laughs> your Stallone is limited to. I will just watch these and, and don't exist. Yes. It's my choice. Like, well, I think you'd like Cliffhanger. I mean, Cliffhanger is... Well, actually, you probably wouldn't. You'd probably what get really the, irritated. the movie when he was, like, in a tunnel? Daybreak. Okay. I didn't see that either. <laughs> yeah. Viggo Mortensen's good in that, but unfortunately, uh, has a makes some very poor decisions. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything for you there. Um, yeah, we've got Shrek. He was in This Is 40. Third Rock From The Sun, obviously, was his biggest TV series. Uh, he was in Interstellar, which is on my list of things to watch. I haven't watched it. I don't know if it's any good. Oh, I remember when he was in the Planet of the Apes uh, remake. Planet of yeah, the Apes remake. And most recently, he's exceptionally good uh, with Jeff Bridges in The Old Man, uh, which is a series I believe is on Amazon Prime. I think it's on Amazon Prime. If not, go and check it out. It's, it's really, really good. Uh, moving on, Bob Balaban. Uh, the uh, the, uh, the um, computer nerd in this uh, basically was in Close Encounters. Uh, Gosford Park is in. It's exceptionally good in Bob Roberts. I'm sorry, how many times? If I had a pound for every time I mentioned it on the series and on podcasts, I probably would have about nine pound now. If you haven't watched, if you've been listening to us since 2019, since we started, and you still haven't got around to watching Bob Roberts, make it your task after you finish this podcast is to go and seek out the film and watch Bob Roberts. Everybody's good in that. Alan Rickman's good in that. Um, uh, do you call it? Giancarlo Esposito is amazing in it. Uh, Tim Robbins is iconic in it because he created this character. It's just brilliant. But anyway. Okay, I will try to watch it. Fine. And, and I'm sure you'll find a place that you can go and... and yes, I think uh, I, I can think find a place. You probably could, yeah. Uh, Gosford Park, Grand Budapest Hotel. I haven't seen these, um, but no. Now, his wife, Madeline Smith Osborne, who played his wife, uh, she she looked as if she should have been in more stuff than she was. Because oh wait, wait, I just want to go back to that that other guy. Okay, I, I think who I forget his name. You Bob Balaban. He's just very like when you see him, like in movies and TVs. You know he's very recognizable. He was in a lot of that stuff, like with the uh, the Best in Show gang, you know. And yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I forget what they don't re- really have a name, but they have a bunch of movies. He's in almost all of them. Waiting for Guffman. Um, but you know what I found funny? A couple of times while watching this movie, 2010, is I think he would have been a good Hooper. <laughs> you know, if they couldn't get Dreyfus back for Jaws too. He's Maybe not animated they, enough. He's not. He's not boy, I, I boyish think he enough. Could, I I think he could be, but he he had the look, you know. And it just like when I'd see them together, I just thought of Brody and Hooper a couple of times. Mm. Well, okay, that, that, completely opposed <laughs> to, each, okay. to each other in this That's in this fine. film. But okay, little little bit of what if coming in there, Joe. Okay, please go and listen to Miley Joe's What If podcast. Um, we had a great time doing them. Um, 
it's half talking about who should have, who could have been in films, and it's half as talking about I don't know differences in food, well, food foodstuffs between yeah. countries and things like that. lots of other things besides. Um, anyway, his wife at the start breaks the breaks the wine glass because she knows he's going to go away. Um, she looks as if she should have been in a lot of stuff, and I looked at her thing, and she was in Funny Farm with Chevy Chase which is probably where I might have recognised her. And all of me was Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin. She was in that film as well. That's it. N- right. Not a lot else. Can't imagine what she played in that because there's not too many, you know, I mean, there, there are two lead women and, and she's not one of them. Yeah. Uh, Mary um, Jo, Mary Jo Deschanel. Um, she played basically Bowman's wife. So you saw her. Um, for those um, obsessed with the TV series Twin Peaks would have recognised her as Eileen Hayward, Donna's Donna's mum, uh, and she was also in the right stuff. Uh, and then you've got uh, I don't know the right way to pronounce this, um, but Maxim, the guy who played Maxim, uh, Elia Baskin. Uh, he's good. Uh, piece, a piece of piece of uh, what was it? Uh, piece of pie. Piece of pie, <laughs> yeah. Um, kuritsa, kuritsa. Um, I used yeah. to work with a Russian guy, and I always used to call him Dorak, and because uh, he told me that's what stupid means in Russian, Dorak. <laughs> Dorak. Um, he was in Being There with Peter Sellers. Uh, he was in Moscow on the Hudson with Robin Williams. Um, he was in Deep Star Six, so Leviathan and Deep Star Six came out at the same time, and both of them were rubbish. Uh, well, I used to think that it was good, and then I watched it again for the podcast, and it was dreadful. Uh, he was in Vice Versa. He was Austin Powers, the first one, uh, Thirteen Days. He played Mister Dit Dit Ditkovich uh, in Spider Man Two and Three. He was the landlord. Uh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't look that up, but yeah, he hasn't aged well. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and he was in one of the seasons of Homeland, but then so were so were quite a lot of people in that way. But yeah, roll call. I wasn't going to do. That, that's it. That's it. Unless you've got something else that I've missed out. Nope. Nope. Okay. Um, well, how? <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. How? Um, so, let's talk about the director, Peter Himes, just to, just as a final bit. Hanover Street with Harrison Ford. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. It's a good film. So, that's where I first remember. But look at the look at the calibre of people he was working with. Outland, so he's working with Sean Connery. Star Chamber, he was working with Michael Douglas. Capricorn One, I forgot who was in Capricorn One. Do you remember? No. Uh, Running Scared, which we did for the podcast. Uh, so Billy Crystal in that one Presidio uh, again Sean Connery again with Mark Harmon Narrow Margin Gene Hackman Ann Archer oh I fancied Ann Archer so much the older woman thing I don't know anyway <laughs> hormones were going all over the place um, and he directed Time Cop which is delightfully delightfully entertaining hmm, um, I'll agree yeah <laughs> with, with, it's very good so yes let's take the hat off to the director Anyway, onto the film. I 
I like the, the bit at the start. I like the pricey. I like the, as he said, if you're watching this and you hadn't seen the other one, it kind of eases you into it and says, here are some of the questions. Here's here, in the form of a report. I thought this is the perfect way to start the film. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I thought it was uh, really well done. Um, because again, it's been a long time since most of us have seen 2001 and it kind of remembers the questions that we have uh, about a lot of it. The one thing that, uh, well, I guess we'll get into it as we go into it more, is that, uh, I, I like I said, I just feel like it creates more questions and it doesn't answer some. Like, they really didn't, they never really answered what the monolith is, mm. but I, I had to look it up. So apparently what it is, is any time that there's like a, a change in evolution, you know, like a, an evolutionary change in man, Okay, that's when the monolith appears because the aliens are trying to kind of lead them, you know, to a certain, like once they reach a certain level. So like in the first movie, it was the apes, you know, or, you know, modern man, you know, and they started to use tools and all that and, and weapons. And then the next thing, when they did space exploration and they were on the moon, they had planted another monolith so that once they end up uh, finding this monolith, that would create a signal that would lead towards Jupiter where there would be another monolith. And again, I don't know if in the other books, if there are more monoliths that, you know, man would go, but they were trying, They it was kind of like a puzzle, like they would... It's like almost like you're not ready yet, you know, but once you reach the moon, once you're able to do space flight and do exploration and you're able to reach the moon, all right, now your next step is going to be towards Jupiter. So that's kind of like what the monolith is. It's not necessarily anything godlike or anything like that. It's just something that uh, they, they plant. Yeah. Amanda did ask me while watching that. She goes, what's that? That's a monolith. What's that do? Uh, okay, I'll try and explain it to you. Um, but yeah, I didn't come up with anything as articulate as that. I said it's a thing. It's an entity that somehow wants to communicate and wants to push us onto the right path. So I was sort of there. Yeah, not I mean, and I probably didn't say it perfectly, but no, 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 you said it better than better than I could. But also, I love the exchange between uh, at the radio listening station with all the um, uh, what do you call them? Telescopes, uh, the they call them telescopes, oh, the satellite dishes, yeah, big satellite yeah. dishes. I'm sure there's a technical name for this. <laughs> and and how many times I've watched that and I've never bothered to look it up. But yeah, radio things it was exactly the same ones they, it's exactly the same place that they use for contact uh with jody foster yeah it did look familiar yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and now it's been mothballed it's yeah it doesn't uh no love given to it and basically put out to pasture uh but what you found is that haywood floyd the character has been thrown under the bus you know that the the russian you know that counterpart that's talking to him is basically given us a lot of the story without saying Here's, here's the chronological order of things that have happened. It's just like, yeah, well, you know, you're Chancellor now. Yeah. Kind of like thrown under the bus, were you? You know, for that report, and was it all blamed upon you? But there's mutual respect between the two of them. And I just thought, what a way to open this film. Because that is, basically, the Russians, we're going to play a game for two minutes, we're going to tell 
It's called the truth. And we're just going to tell each other the truth. Um, it's brilliant. It's really good. And, you know, you can look at all the comparisons when, when they, when they're meeting each other halfway, you know, you don't need to be like, have it painted for you, but this is the sort of respect is that these people are scientists. These people are, you know, men of a certain thing. They're not involved in this. They're not particularly bothered about the war and the standoff that's going on at the time. But they're just basically going, I need to be able to tell you something. Have you checked Discovery's Orbit recently? And like, what? So I just think it's, it's a, this is a great exchange at the start. Yeah, it, it shows that they are loyal to their countries, but they're more loyal to mankind. Yes. And they feel that that supersedes any kind of loyalty to an individual country. And I feel that way too. It's like, you know, we really need to get out there. Like we've done nothing. Uh, I mean, I just hope that there's more exploration in our future because uh, mm. there's so many things that we just don't understand that, that we could. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um I don't know why we haven't been back to the moon. If, Amanda, if Amanda was on here, she would have told you. We've gone into I've great never detail. Been there. We've never been there. Um, yes. I, look, I don't think we have either, right? And I was probably going to make whoa, whoa, the conspiracy nut. No, I just it doesn't make sense. The thing that doesn't make sense is with with the technology that I've got in this watch. Right, they sent with lesser, far lesser technology. They sent people to the moon, right, and they've never done it since. Why wouldn't you be? Why don't you be Jeff Bezos in Amazon and go? Do you know what? I'm going to plant an Amazon flag on the moon, and it's going to cost fifteen billion. But he'd probably find that down the back of his sofa. Fifteen billion for a simple thing to to go to space. Elon Musk think can't go to the moon. And you're like, he's been spending his entire life with SpaceX and, and the space exploration, but nobody can seem to do it. But I, I, we, we did it in the 60s. Really? I think recently really, they, they sent Israel, I think, sent uh, a satellite to the moon, you know, and it just touched down and then it just left. Uh, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I don't know why they did that. Oh. I mean, just to show that they could do it. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I believe that it was... It, that it was real uh well Stanley Kubrick filmed it so you know yeah I know they they pushed that but I I I believe it was real I mean <laughs> that'd be huge cover-up I mean if it was fake I'd love it you know that if it was fake because I'd be like damn now I got a lot of TV I can watch about how they covered it up you know but I, I just don't believe it I, I feel like that we have been to the moon uh I mean I think it was like 11 times I could be wrong but it, it's we've been there numerous times uh they brought that moon rocks never been back well part of the reason i think that we haven't been back is because they're cheap you know it's like very expensive to you know finance a a a moon mission and they just like again like during certain reigns of presidents they refuse to spend money yes but billionaires are narcissists well, right. that's what they're doing the one right thing now. They want to do is Jeff Bezos going. But how long have they been doing that? Five years five, ago. We'll say five years ago. Well, let's say no. Let's say he said five years ago. Build me a rocket. Here's fifteen billion. I want to sit in that capsule and I want to go to the moon. Well, that's what they're doing now. They're testing it. You know, it's like uh, they don't want to just send people up there and then just have them die. I mean, 
but no, they keep... but they sent them in a rickety shed in the sixties. Well, and yeah, that was back got, then. We've got comfort, you know. We've got beer fridges and things that you can put in there. It's all all comfort now. All you won't I know convince is me. Superman four. Superman was on the moon and he saw the flag, the United States flag. So <laughs> it's real. Uh, they well, Zod and uh, Ursula, and they they took the flags on they, the moon, but he put them back up. Well, yes. Superman can get to the yeah. <laughs> there we go. Superman can. Um, I, I, again, I'm, I'm just moving move, moving on slightly from it. I do like the fact that that then it goes into talking with the national security advisor in front of the White House. Mm. As soon as they realise that they've got a problem, that discovery is we've got to get to discovery ASAP, and he's like, "You have my job. Go, go. How are we going to sell this?" Well, yeah. Do you want the Russians to get there first? Do you want them to have all the all the information? And it's the Russians that are saying, "Oh, a few poor Americans who need our help." You know, boohoo. And it's, they've got it all mapped out how they're going to how they're going to sell this. Um, it does seem ext- it does seem dis- given what was going on that none of that would have worked, and there's no way that they would have been allowed on the on the ship. But you're right, as he said, that you don't have the expertise to get Hal going again. You don't. If you're going up there for answers, it'll take you months, months yeah. and months and months to try and work this out. Whereas they can do it in, well, as they did in like a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, I just again love love the shots. I love the wide shots in this, and I'm sorry to, to go on about it. But do you want to know a nice little bit of trivia? When it cuts to Chandra, and it cuts to his lab again. Look at the tech and the things that they were putting in there. You know, it's trying to be visionary. I mean. It, 2010 turned out to be far more technical than, than what they envisaged. But that wasn't because of a lack of, you know, potential and, and you know, vision of, of, of what it would all look like. Do you know who the voice of Sal was? Yeah. Oh, you do, right. I was hoping I'd catch you with that one. So it's Candice Bergen. Uh, and, is, and she's not listed in, in the film credits. Um, she comes up with a different name. I don't know if you had the she did the name back she did a name backwards or something in order to, to have the credit for Sal's voice oh, I didn't know that it's not her yeah um, but even that exchange which the where they're talking about I'm going to have to disconnect ha- I'm going to have to disconnect you and the computer and Sal asks will I dream and again it's you know it's like one of those you know Isaac Asimov Carl Sagan and all those sorts of things that they they talk about this concept I mean, Philip K. Dick wrote um, Blade Runner was based on the book "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep." Um, this is this is a common theme, a, a running theme, and it's so well done in this film. Um, because, yeah, Sal is going, okay, do it, but what happens to me? You know, do I do I go into a deep sleep? And great, let's talk about his house, his house, a home with dolphins in. I don't oh, know how I love, practical. I love that home. It looks great, but what's the? I was thinking of the logistics of it. Like, are the dolphins confined. I mean, is this like you know, what was it? Black. Uh, I, the, I the, think the documentary about SeaWorld, um, blackfish or something. I think it's they're, they're more like pets. They probably can come and go as they please. So it, it goes into the ocean because obviously he lives yeah. in the ocean. But they're so, guaranteed food. Uh, you know, by so does people. that mean a shark can come through? 
So you're trying uh, to feed the dolphins. Here, question, dolphin, dolphin. Good question. Right, and then this great white comes in and takes your arm off. Like, good. uh... Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Plus... Maybe you're right. Maybe they are confined. They can't swim in... That has to be salt water. Yeah, that's So it true. means that the kids won't be able to... So you can't use it as a swimming pool. Well, you can. I mean, a lot of people swim. What in with a shark water. going around? Shark. All right. Well, let's say it's confined. All right. All right. You, well, you then, can use it as then the cruelty pool. to those dolphins is is dreadful. They seem happy. They're smiling. No, oh, yeah, dolphins. Yeah, they're smiling dolphins. <laughs> they're not the dolphins from Jaws three, Sandy and the other one. But yeah, there might actually be. And I, I miss that in trivia. It's, it's yeah, it's just the same dolphins. We just stuck them in this film as well. Um. Uh, what do we like about the? What do you like about the music? I think the music in this is good, and I yeah, and no, I think, I and I think we're, oh, okay. I thought we were going to disagree on that. I thought you were going to go, oh, it's very pedestrian. It's very, but it's like this do 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 that 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 sort of background music, and then the cut when he leaves with to cuts to the Leonov. Oh, it's like this huge great Russian monolithic style and you're like yeah okay <laughs> that's no subtlety there straight into it yeah I get it um but yeah they they wake him up first uh because they they said that they had to and they weren't involved in anything and it's all very standoffish until he pushes back um and says you know I, I love the exchange where he, where he's going. How fast? How fast? Right. He's not concerned about Helen Mirren banging on about the war and and what what they should be doing. He's just trying to get to the. It's just trying to get to the point. Um, especially when he says, "I, I, um, I tell I I ask you questions, you give me answers, and uh, you ask me questions, and I give you answers." I guess that's how it works. I, I think I read that in a manual somewhere again great scenes but um yeah i just think it's he's it goes back to what you were saying he's he's a man of science and he's just wants to talk to other engineers and scientists about something and it's helen mirren that goes oh i'm also a, a um you know a soldier in the in the russian army and he's like yeah so give me the answer to my question yeah so i thought that was i thought that is very well done um, well, yeah, that's the. I, I think that's the whole thing. I mean, he's a scientist, and she is loyal to her country. That's why she doesn't see it at first as a big deal. Her sacrificing one of her crew members, mm. but then I think that she starts to work with him towards the end because she realizes that her crew members are in danger, and that that's by them working together is the only way for them to. But they know, would escape. never have skipping forward to to that bit at the end. She would never have made the decision to use the Leonov and the discovery to get home if that event on Jupiter hadn't happened. Yeah. So she wouldn't have arbitrarily gone, do you know what? I, I will, I have faith in you. Let's, let's do this. She, she, she just would have shut it down. What do we think of the models? Do we like the models of the, the exteriors? I think they do quite a good job with probably not yeah, a lot. I, I did. I, I know you said you didn't like the special effects. Um, they were definitely different. I mean, I guess they were using 80s technology back then. Yeah. Um, there were there were still models, like you, you said, like for the Discovery. 
I don't even know if that was the original one. You know, it no, probably they had wasn't. To, they had to build the whole thing again because... Um, uh, Is it in like the Air and Space Museum or Smithsonian? Well, no. Discovery? As soon as, as soon as Kubrick finished 2001, he destroyed <laughs> them to ever, to, to ever be used again. That guy. He threw it all on a big bonfire and it all went up. Because he, he said, I don't want Discovery ending up in this film, and I don't want Discovery in this film, and I don't want that in this film. And he just went, so I, I it's my decision, boom. There you go. It's funny that, that like, I was thinking about that the other day. When he's done with the film, he destroys everything, like any additional footage. That's why there's no deleted scenes available, because he just gets rid of them. everything. He just burns them. Yeah, because... And it's just so sad, because I would love to see some extra stuff. Well, like like from a Clockwork Orange or uh, what is it? Uh, not <laughs> I can't think of it now. Oh, not Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> uh, I can't think of it. I just, I'm very tired. The, the one that we did the uh, the podcast with the military one with the oh, Full Metal Jacket. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean. I'm tired, sorry. <laughs> All right, okay. That's all, well, I won't keep you. Um, the so they had to reconstruct it from the, from the start. They had to look at the film. The film is the only thing they had to go off. He even destroyed the drawings, um, so they they didn't even have any drawings to go on. No models, no drawings, just the film. It's and so weird too. It. Like like Kubrick is so into history, and he was going to make that Napoleon movie. Right. And he had index cards every single thing Napoleon was doing mm. for like all of his life like he he could tell you like what he had for breakfast on a certain day of his life I, I don't understand why he would destroy stuff if he was so into history uh, well anyway well he was approached to I mean it was approached to to do the sequel and he said absolutely no chance whatsoever and Himes was picked because he did um outland and they saw the potential of him being able to to handle the science fiction film. Um he Hyams contacted Arthur C. Clarke and Kubrick for the for the approval. Uh and the telephone conversation with Kubrick lasted around three hours. Um and I'd love to know what was on there because he basically would say he was asking Kubrick, how did you, you know um how, what was you know I need to get inside your head and Kubrick's like, I need to get inside your head because I need to know how you how you frame certain images in in films that I've seen you do so far. Uh, and at the end of the conversation, he says, "Mr. Kubrick, I would like I would now like to know if you approve me of doing 2010." And Kubrick says, "Sure, of course." So I think if you get the director's, if you get Kubrick's blessing, yeah, you're not going to. Yeah, he probably there, said, "I really had to go to the bathroom. I'm glad I hung up on that guy." <laughs> yeah, God, that guy can talk. No, but it, it's sad because now that you mentioned it, I would have loved to seen him do a sequel to this because it would have been so different. It's kind of like when we were having a discussion with Superman 2, you know, where Richard Donner didn't get to really do his completed version. We would have loved to seen that. And we did see some of it in the Donner cut, but it just would have been so nice if it was complete. Just like, oh man, Kubrick's version of this movie would have been just amazing. Uh, again, that's why it's a different movie. It's a completely different movie. Uh, yeah. Well, and again, I, I enjoy it, but sometimes I'm like, it's tough, you know, because it's like <laughs> it's not the 2001 
universe that I'm used to, you know? Like, yeah. they, they could have called it something else if they wanted to. And it still would have been an enjoyable movie. Um, one of the things that, that man liked, and she sat down at exactly the right moment. I, I've always used this term, oh, if we go and if we go over there, what we need to do is just slingshot around and then and then come back. And she always chuckled since the first time I saw it, first time I said it, the first time there. She sat down and I went, Do you want to know where I got that from? Look, it's the it's the system with the with the bags, they're gonna slingshot around the planet. And she just went, Oh my god, that's where it comes from. I said, Yeah. I am a child of the eighties. My film ref- my film references, my vernacular, my terminology is from the eighties, usually from a probably John Cusack film. But Well but they yes. did that in Star Trek too, and Star Trek four. Yeah, the they didn't refer to, did they call it the, slingshot? Slingshot, yeah. Around okay. the sun. I think that is an actual technical term, or else they wouldn't have used it so many times. I, I don't use it as I don't give it the respect I use it. It's just I oh, will just slingshot around as in just go around the corner or something. Yeah. But anyway. The probe finds chlorophyll. I thought that was good. I thought that was the tension on that was really good. Um I thought that yeah, that that was very well done. Um oh, explain that to me. What why why is why is that good? What, I mean I just uh, well the tension of the scene. That the that the probe found chlorophyll? Yeah. And then what was the this, significance. The significance is that, that that it was capable of sustaining life. Oh, so that's what oh, so I didn't realize that. So right, it, yeah, yeah. So, whoa, shock horror! This this previously yeah barren planet that that we've always thought could never ever support life has got the the, the beginnings of life on on its surface, and that's the reason why you know you peeked around the corner, you're not supposed to see this, and the probe gets sent off. Boom, gone. Um, what I was saying about the scene is the tension of the doo 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 doo. And it gets more and more and more as it gets closer and you get to finding that. Um, I thought that was well done. I mean, this is a cold this is a Cold War movie in yeah. similar in the way of like Rocky Four. So, you know, you've got you've still got those undertones throughout that, but unlike Rocky Four, it doesn't, you know, ram them down your throat at the end of the film and say, you know, but we know what, what fan we are of Rocky Four, not Rocky versus Drago, of course, because that's Dross. No, everyone. Um, no, I am a fan of Rocky versus Drago. But I think you, you, and maybe a handful of others. The, the rest of us are all purists. That's so. not, not true. Well, the, the the purists win in this one. Um, anyway, uh, I do like the spacewalk to Discovery. I like the fact that John Lithgow and Max uh, are get, have that chemistry, and that's built up quite quickly but very effectively. Hmm. Um, and I like the fact that when Max dies, when he goes to explore the monolith, John Lithgow wears his, wears his hat for the yeah. rest of the film. Love that. You know, he, again, you don't need it bludgeoned around the head. You don't need to be told it's happening. It's just a subtle thing and it's just there. It's just, it's just really good. Um, attention to detail. When they get to discovery, John Lithgow's talking, but you still can't, you can't see his face because it's all misted up. Now, most most directors would have gone, oh, you know, just clean it a little so that we can see John Lithgow. No, no, no. It was almost like, no, he's not taking his helmet off and he's just going to continue the scene. That seemed to me a bit like Kubrick would do. Is No, 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 don't don't clean it. It's natural. Just just film it as if, as in what what's happening. I thought it was really good. Um, and then once you get Discovery activated, you get Hal. What did you think about the... Um, the reactivation of Hal. 
No, I mean, it's, I liked it. Uh, you know, I liked the deactivation of Hal and yes, Daisy uh, Daisy. And they went the opposite way. Um, yeah, you, you could tell like, again, what was his, was his name? Hal? Is that what his name was? Yeah. Um, yeah, he was just such a nerd. And he's another one I can understand them being afraid of where he would kind of side with his AI. Oh, sorry. The, 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 um, uh, uh, Kurnow was the scientist. Sorry, not how oh, he was. A, oh, yeah. okay. How was the how was the AI? Yeah. Oh, I said Howell. Um, I thought his name was Howell. Howell. <laughs> I don't know why. Doctor Howell. Doctor yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I think that uh, yeah, he would have sided with his his. You could see he had a lot of sympathy for. It's almost like he's Frankenstein and Hal is Frankenstein's monster. I know back in the day during 2001 and beyond before this movie came out, Hal was considered one of cinema's greatest villains. You know, uh, I, I remember reading an article on that, like they would list Darth Vader and then Hal yeah, would yeah. be in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, and this film so goes, yeah, wait a minute, he's not a villain. Yeah, he never was a villain. It was just yeah. that he was programmed and following orders and that they conflicted with the uh, two different orders conflicted with each other. So he had and a breakdown. He, he, yeah, and he had a breakdown. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, a computer computer had a break, you know, breakdown. And for Roy Scheider's character to find out that he was the one that signed the order, despite the fact that he knew nothing about it. Um, you know, ooh, bit of political intrigue. That that was that was pretty good. But it seems reactivating how I'm not I'm not trying to like um, this is probably the reason why it's not ten out of ten. What you just press these things down? Is that it? Is that how you get Hal back? Because all he did was just press them in order. And I was like, a monkey could do that. Well, I didn't, I didn't see to... anything technical going on. Uh, again, I don't really recall. I know he wasn't he asking him questions. Yeah, and it was, was coming out. It was babbling. It was coming out, coming out quickly. He doesn't talk to him until it's Hal. Until the, he finally gets reestablished. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of like I guess like putting in different memory chips into a computer, hmm. uh, and then th them having to download, and he has to do it in a specific sequence. Um, but he also had to remove his memory from when he went uh, crazy from, from the holographic memory. Yeah, yeah, which you know I thought was yeah you know and it, it's I am so glad they didn't go there where they made him a murderer again because they yes. could have easily done that you know and i think that most writers or directors would have done that it's like well you know we'll just have hal do it again you know kind of like you know jason coming back uh <laughs> so it's a good job yeah yeah absolutely um but as we find this out and obviously max dies when he goes to investigate the monolith um you know the the bits of where it cuts back to the earth to his wife or his you know his wife who's now moved on and his mom who has the has the hairbrush that was a little bit bizarre um didn't follow that too much i do like the fact talking to his wife i did i did like that exchange because he's like oh you've remarried is he a good man does he treat you well you know and all this sort of thing and it's just like it's just a really nice nice exchange um and obviously, when he reappears to Roy Scheider to try and convince him, you know, I did like that. Who sent this? And Hal's like, I don't know. Well, 
why? You know, why don't you know? You, you're the most advanced life, you know, advanced AI, probably even with us collectively. Um, so that was good. Dave Bowman in various forms, you know, older, older, oldest. Yeah, that probably might have suddenly people going, oh, this was turning out to be, as he said, a nice paced, paced film. And then you've got this and it doesn't really explain an awful lot. But well, yeah, that's for the purist, though, isn't it? Yeah, from the original one, that's what happened. It's like he would transform into these different uh, life cycles of himself. Mm. Um, you know, and I didn't really understand it at the time. I still don't, <laughs> you know, but uh, it's just something, I guess, that connects the audience from the original 2001 to, to Dave Bowman. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that he's not the human he once was but there's still some humanity left in him mm. especially since he visits his mother and his wife and we never saw his wife in the first movie we right. didn't know we, I don't know he might we might have seen his wedding ring but that's as far as it went he but talks we just, to his kid though at the start doesn't he no that was uh, with uh, Roy Scheider's character Haywood Floyd, Floyd. Yeah. Haywood Floyd yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that confused me too when I was watching it. I was like, "Wait a minute! He had a daughter. He didn't have a son. You know, uh, he must have been busy. This guy, you know, <laughs> Floyd. Like he said, his daughter was seventeen now, and I guess it makes sense. It's ten years later, um, but he must have divorced his wife. Yes, yeah, so remarried. That's yeah. That's that was in. I found that out in the trivia. That that's yeah. You're not supposed to suspend disbelief. Yeah, he's is um, he's remarried. Um, war escalates. I do like the space bridge, by the way. I think that that's a Arthur C. Yeah, Clarke concept. Cool. So it's really really cool. Yeah, I don't know how it operates in in the fact that these these two are, have to be going exactly the same, exactly the same speed. It has to be constant. I'm sure if Arthur C. Clarke was around, sadly very missed. Um, but yeah, he would just go, "Well, you're an idiot, Charles." It operates. It operates like this. But again, if you believe in space travel, like some people do, like when <laughs> they have spacewalks, it's like, why isn't the astronaut just going flying past That's, the spaceship? Yeah. You know, why because isn't John I think, Lithgow flying when he gets to Discovery? Why is he just flying straight off? Because this is no, I'm saying in real I'm saying in real life, like when right. people have spacewalks, they don't go flying past like the shuttle or whatever thing that they came out of. It's just like they're parallel. To that device so maybe it's they're they're almost like on like a little path i again i don't know that much about it has to be it so to precise it. because the moment that one goes faster the space bridge collapses even 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 very small minor things would just trigger it because it's a seal between the two yeah so i, I don't know but it, it I, yeah i don't know if you just float in there because i know like the They'll say, and again, you might not believe it. Like when somebody's in a rocket ship, it's like we're flying at, uh, you know, 10,000 miles per hour. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but we're not up in space. We don't know how that works, you know? Well, Roy Scheider decides that without the space bridge, he can just fly over in his suit. Because that's where he goes over to talk to Helen Mirren. And she goes, you have been drinking your whiskey from t Kentucky. <laughs> which i think is great yeah she was good i thought she was russian you know so she did a fantastic job and i didn't well, know she, it was helen mirren either 
Oh right, okay. Well, no, she she did have. I did have a bit of that in um, trivia. In trivia, because she her dad was, although British born and educated, Helen Mirren does actually speak some basic Russian. As her father was from a Russian descent. Mm. However, okay. her accent in the film is exaggerated, uh, as apparently in reality, a spoken Russian language is unsurprisingly tinged with an English accent. So she had to speak exaggerated Russian in order for it to be believable rather than the actual thing which he could speak Ugh. sounded good to us because all we had was Yakov Smirnoff you know over here <laughs> oh don't forget famous Russian actions we shale into history Hunt for Red October we've got Ramius in Hunt for Red October oh god the accents on display there yeah I mean yeah <laughs> it doesn't work Tim Curry yes Sam Neill yes the others, yes. Sean Connery, definitely not. Sorry, Sean. It's a 10 out of 10 film, but your accent still doesn't be able to <laughs> d- 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 detract from it. Um, but yeah. So they have to decide whether they're telling hell the truth or not about the fact that Discovery is going to be expendable and, and Hal's going to die, basically. Um, I thought that was very well handled. I thought the fact that they had that device, the cutoff device, that was tension that that didn't actually materialise because the device had been found anyway to disconnect Hal, should he not carry out the the orders and stuff. But it was, it was that exchange is pretty well done. The thing that annoys me, and again, the reason why it doesn't get a ten, is that he leaves it far too late to to go to go back onto the Leonov. Yeah, I agree. Discovery, and he would have been blasted, as you just pointed out. He would have gone, been just blasted into space because that thing is going belting along, right? Yeah. And and you can't just sit there like, you know, sort of Looney Tunes style with with a rope going, oh, I'm just caught in this. No, 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 you'd be vaporized. You pretty much, you there would be nothing left of you. The G force on you would have ripped the skin from, from your body. I mean, it just would have been everywhere. But yes, anyway, let's not go down that road. Um, and then you get the you get this um. That the message of peace that's sent before Jupiter um, in, well, in, uh, has its nuclear fusion and then turns into a star. Um, again, the reason why the film's not a 10 is because of the end. I think it just wraps everything up so quickly without any sort of explanation. The fact that the star appears, the fact that the message is, is given, then the fact that, you know, the premier and the president looked out the window at the same time and, and realized, ah, oh, this is all just a big mistake. It's been going on for months and months, if possibly not years, because obviously we'd have to be in stasis until that, until that time. So the conflict at the start had been going on for a considerable amount of time and it ends just like that at the end. And I'm like, okay, that's why it's not a 10 for me anyway. Well, it's definitely something you got to look into because, again, I, I don't know if it was uh, like if the aliens are so powerful that they're able to control something like that. And I think that the whole thing is like it was their plan to get these uh, people back to Europa or uh, into Discovery just mm. so that they could work together and then have them leave and then have the Jupiter go was it supernova or whatever and well, become a yeah, sun. Yeah, yeah. And become a star, yeah. Um 
And then that would uh, convince people to stop the, the war that they were having. Because, you know, if you remember too, I mean, they were dealing with the Cold War uh, back in the 60s when they first made 2001 and when they wrote about it. Hmm. it I think the books push more the Cold War than anything. Uh, well, at the start uh, of the book 2010, the US and the, the Russians are cooperating. There is no conflict. But is there a is there some kind of was it happened in Latin America or something like that? Central, um, well, yeah, where they say Central, Central America. America. Yeah, um, but is that in the book? But there is a skir- Yeah, there is a skirmish. There is something there, but they have to collaborate because they realise that they need each other in order to get to the to the answers of what they need to do. So it's almost like as what we talked about, the scientists have decided, well, we're doing this, and 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 basically gets their nations, individual nations, blessing to go and do this. So it's a joint, it's a cooperative thing rather than having to be strong-armed into it. Well, I think we knew too back when the Cold War was going on, we could have destroyed each other, you know, easily. Yeah. With the nuclear weapons that we had and we would just never be the same again. Who knows if we would have existed after a certain amount of period in time. And I think that's what the aliens knew too, mm. is that if these people are going to have war, it could be devastating, it could destroy, you know, the the life down there. They'll never evolve. They'll that'll be the end of it and mm. again they, they were trying to push a message that there's more important things almost going back to the beginning you know like when the uh, uh the guy from russia or what was his job he was like uh he's like these uh it was like an, uh, an ambassador well, he's a, say he's a dignitary or something like that when he yeah. spoke to roy scheider they and they had the that that back and forth for 30 seconds mm. it was like let's just answer questions without having yeah. any kind of uh you know loyalty to our countries you know yeah, they, yeah. they believed that which was more important was humanity's existence and and going forward and learning about you know what we can learn about like, so yeah i mean i i don't know it, it, it's one of those movies again i'm sure if you go on youtube you can dissect the movie where people have dissected it what it could mean and then people who read the books too would also it'd be very helpful mm. to see how they how different they are that that, that um, email exchange between the director and arthur c clark was turned into a book called the odyssey oh, really? file called the odyssey file so the emails were actually um and i did go when i when i researched this yesterday i went on amazon and you can only buy a second hand copy for 60 quid jeez so i might have to try and find that via it's got to be on Wikipedia somewhere. Yeah, you know, it's like got to be found Absolutely, yeah. That's a big. Anyway, yeah. All, all I like from that guy is this is this is very bad for my asthma. It, it's <laughs> like I don't know. I don't think he was Russian. Let's <laughs> put it that way. But he was he was very good. Should we move on to trivia time? Sure. Yeah, we do this. I a little bit. Here we go. It's trivia time. Trivia time. So. The film made $40 million, which isn't bad. It was the 17th grossing, highest grossing film of 1984. That sounds bad. Well, <laughs> it was kept off the top spot. Do you want to have a guess what it was kept off the top spot by? The oh, biggest I film could... of the summer of 1984. Oh, I couldn't. It was, a, was it Back to the Future? No, that was 85. I don't uh, know. Uh, 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 uh. That's your clue. I don't know. Neutron dance. Giving you clues here. Oh, that was a clue. Oh, 
Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. That was that your was imitation very, of that was a very Eddie, bad Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, that was like a polar bear or something. <laughs> oh, cheers. Thanks. Well, I didn't. I, I'm not known for my Eddie Murphy uh, or my uh, impressions. So yeah, that that still continues then. Um, yeah, it was kept off the top spot, so it could have been a number one box office num- number one. Um, and you know, it was competing with other sci-fi films at the time. Do you want to have a guess at the other two that were out at oh, the time? You're killing me. No, just tell me. John. So John Carpenter's Starman, which I thought was dreadful. I love that. I, I, I actually enjoy. I don't it. remember good things about that. Uh, and also David Lynch's Dune was out that year as well. And it ended up outgrossing both of them. So, yeah. Go Roger Hyams. Okay. Um, it's, it's still 17 is pretty low. <laughs> I know when he's saying make it sound like that. But it, look, it made 40 million. I don't know how much it... If it, if it took 38 to, to do it, then that's not very good. But I think that was just domestic anyway. Um Roger Ebert wrote in his review of this film, I felt that the poetry of 2001 was precisely in its mystery and that to explain everything was to ruin everything. Like the little boy who cut open his cut open his drum to see what made it bang. In spite of strongly disliking the idea of a sequel to uh, 2001, Ebert considered 2010 a good movie in itself and gave it three stars out of four. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's a good movie by itself. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> the anti-nuclear sign visible in widescreen when Arthur C. Clarke makes his cameo in front of the White House uh, was an actual long-standing icon in Lafayette Park on the far side of the executive mansion, tended for years by an activist, but which grew in size in, by degrees over several years. Um, an even larger version was banished when all semi-permanent protest displays were banned from the park due to increased security concerns. So it's probably a very long-winded way of saying, yeah, you know the anti-war sign? That's Arthur C. Clarke holding, holding it. So he, okay. he, he makes a cameo. That's that's all right. Um, would you like to... And I'm, no, I'm, I'm not going to do the guessing thing. The movie's first score was penned by Tony Banks of Genesis. Yeah. The original score. Uh, Banks used parts of his score for the for this movie for the movie Lorca and the Outlaws, so he was dropped and he took his score and went fine. I'll go and take it somewhere else, and he did. Uh, nobody, I don't even know what it is. Lorca and the Outlaws, don't know, don't care. Do like Genesis though. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Even though if you've seen Phil Collins recently, he's not in good health. Um, what else have we got? Um. When, when uh, Helen Mirren asks uh, Roy Scheider about Kentucky, he says that they play very good basketball. Um, as it turns out, Dr. Floyd's answer turned out to be remarkably prescient. The 2009-2010 season for the University of Kentucky's men's basketball program uh, uh, turned out to be a resurgent year for the team after a few years of relative mediocrity in terms of the program's high standards. The season saw the team become the first Division I collegiate program to reach 2,000 wins. The team was ranked number one in the nation for portions of the season, and it entered the NCAA tournament as a number one seed and finished the season with the most wins of any Division I team for that year, 35. That's, that's pretty freaky. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when they're going over and he's telling the joke about the marathon and he doesn't finish it, you know, to try and get... get um, uh, calm down, John Lithgow. 
yeah. about it. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, the joke, the actual joke is, I was watching the London Marathon. I saw one runner dressed as a chicken and another dressed as an egg. Due to the fog, no one could tell which came first. Oh, that's good. That's the gag, but the, the gag that wasn't uh-huh. finished. So it's nice that we even we even know that. Um. Uh. I. And yeah, have I got anything else? No, I haven't got anything else. There we go. All right. 2010. You can go to sleep now, Joe, if you're a bit tired. <laughs> Although, cool. what is it there now? It's 11. You can go for an 11 o'clock now. 11 a.m. Yeah. now. What was um, the uh, What was the sequel? Uh, what was going to be the third book? 2061 is Odyssey 3. They never oh. they, they never called it. Um, it wasn't. It's 2010 Odyssey 2 was the title. The year that we made contact, just put in there because it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then you have 3001 Odyssey 4. That was the Unfortunately, book. I think, so, I mean, hopefully they just stay away from any kind of sequel until like another 10 to 20 years because. We've just been getting crap lately, and I'm sure that they'll they'll ruin it. Oh, how how will be Sal? Um, you know, yeah, there'll be so much identity politics put in there, you won't even recognise it. Identity politics is killing movies. Discuss. Yep. Anyway, yes, that's for another discussion on on another podcast. Definitely not mine. But and here's the nice little segue: if you do want to hear. In, and I do mean this, it'd make, it'd make it sound as if it, it'd be really sarcastic, and I'm not at all. If you want some really, really good conversation, and obviously obviously us, we're really good, but listen to Joe's podcast. If you're if you're just tuning into this because you go, oh, I like this film, and you've not heard any other podcast, Joe, tell them where they can find you and find the, the wonderful chatter between the three of you. Yeah, it's a WDWNT Nerd Alert. And this is our ninth season, and uh, yeah, we we have a lot of fun together. We were discussing, we actually were discussing the Rocky movies that Fedra had seen them for the first time ever, which wow. blew my mind that she had never seen a single Rocky movie before. And I think she's in her mid thirties, so <laughs> I guess that. Can I, can I have a spoiler alert? What was the? F- Are you allowed to tell me what our favorite one was? Or do yeah, I, I can tell you. Go on, Rocky two. Two. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Did she justify? Did she? Did she explain why she thinks that's? Well, she watched them back to back. I mean, I'm sure it had to do with Adrian being in a coma, you know, and oh, okay. Rocky <laughs> winning at the end, where she didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, so I think that that made her feel good. Okay. All right. Well, on onward. Uh, the next film that we're going to be doing uh, is, I think. At the moment, Cannibal Run 2, um, starring Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra. Makes it sound like a completely different film when you when you advertise it like that. But but yeah. Yeah, let's do something a bit more fun. Uh it'll be all four of us on it. Uh so we'll all be we'll all be back. We'll make make sure that we're we're back. And then I think there'll be a season close film. So I don't know what film that's going to occupy because I've pretty much done all the sequels that I wanted to do uh and wanted to cover. I've done this one and Jaws three. Those, these, these were the two sequels I had in mind uh, way back when I started it because I never would have put Aliens in there. Um, I would have put Jaws three, obscure, two thousand and ten, obscure would have would have fit the bill. But now we've done Aliens, Die Hard, 
Cannibal Run 2 when we do that. And then, so we've got to have a nice, nice finish on that. And then we'll decide what we're going to do for the next season. So, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, have a good day. Uh, have a good sleep, Joe. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll see you all later. Cheers. See you.